all the time. Holy Spirit, I'm glad you're always with us, and I ask that you'd come now. You'd rest on us. You'd say something to each one of us. You help us along in our relationship with you. Amen. As always, um, if you have a question, something comes up, I'm here to chat with you after the service, so I don't mind that at all. I chose today's verses because of a comment that I heard from someone that I really respect, and their understanding and application of it was, I thought, a little different, and it didn't give full value of God's intent for what these verses are about. These verses might be new to some people. If you've recently become a Christian, you may not have read about these, so that's okay. It might not have been important in the denomination you originally came from. But I suggest at some point these verses are going to raise some questions, and you're going to want to know about them, so we're going to talk about that today. In your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 7. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 7. Follow along. Paul is writing here, and he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of my these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong." If you don't get anything else about today or you want to take something home with you, here's what I'd like you to remember. God's grace is always greater than any attack or weakness. God's grace is always greater than any attack or weakness. Now, in the first six verses of this passage, Paul is describing an encounter he had where he was taken to heaven and God did all kinds of, uh, gave him visions and revelations. It was a big thing. I, I don't even know what I would do if I had something like that happen. But he shared about that, and that's the setup for what he talks about here. So let's look back at the first part of verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. Now, there's definite potential when we have God encounters that we can get a little bit big-headed. We can get a little bit feeling good about ourselves. We can have a little bit of pride. First time you pray for someone and they get healed, you see a leg grow, you see somebody stand up who couldn't stand before you prayed, you get a word of knowledge about something that's really specific about them. There is an opportunity there to get pride. Well, Paul was taken to the third heavens and got revelation. There's all kinds of opportunity to deal with pride. And so he says to keep me from being conceited because of these great surpassing revelations. Now, 
I don't know about you, but I tend not to address my weaknesses until I have to. Anybody relate to that one? It's like, okay, I'm not good at that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about pride or I don't want to talk about those kinds of things until it's sort of in my face and I have to address it. So why would God expose Paul or us to an attack after we had a God event? Some of you recently got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would God have an, a place where the enemy could come and attack us? Remember that God is good. Everything God does is good. Everything he does with us is good. If it's not good, it's not God. You're all awake, right? Smile, wave, something, make sure. If it's not good, it's not God. Thank you, baby. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to deal with. If something comes to you, you're already able to deal with it. He will always provide a way of escape. When we're under attack, he always says there is a way out. Now, we may not, might not want to take it. We might not be aware of it, but it is, that doesn't mean it isn't there. God will only allow an attack so we can have the opportunity to become more mature and become even more effective as Christians. God doesn't just say, okay, you can do this to Mary. It's okay. No, he's, if, if she is under attack, if I am under attack, there's a reason God is letting that happen so that I can mature and I can be more effective when we're done with it than when I started. If you're getting beat up right now by something, there's a way out, and God let it happen, this attack, so that you can mature and be even more effective when you're done. You go to the gym, and it hurts. You use muscles you didn't used to use. Where did I get that one from? Oh, my gosh, that's so sore. Why did they even show me that machine? But the goal is not the pain. The goal is to say, hey, I've got stuff that I'm not using that I could be, and it's going to help me to be more healthy, more able to do things, deal with less pain because I'm in better shape. There's a reason for it. And whenever we're dealing with stuff in life that God lets in, it's because he wants us to mature so we can be even better at being Christians to change the world. That would be a good place for an amen. That was a wimpy amen. I'll give you a good chance to say. When God gives us an, an attack and makes it a place for the enemy, he's doing it so we can be even better Christians and impact the world more. Okay. I didn't realize I needed cues for this. Okay, I got it now. God is, God's grace is always greater than any attack or any weakness we encounter. 
Let's continue. Second part of 2 Corinthians verse 7, 12, verse 7. Paul writes, There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Who gave the thorn? Satan. God never gives us thorns. Hello? There's a fair chunk of the church that says God does this. God doesn't give thorns. We need to get this. We need to understand where the stuff's coming from. This verse is eminently clear. Satan gave the thorn. It wasn't something God gave Paul to keep him humble. It wasn't something God gave to make Paul a better person. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came to give us abundant life. We need to understand who's doing what to whom when. And thorns come from the enemy. What was the thorn in the flesh? Some people, even some Christians, have claimed this is a physical illness. Simply put, that's not true. This wasn't something that happened to Paul that caused him to be physically sick or eye problems or whatever. Regardless of what people say as they try to explain this verse, this is not a sickness that was given to Paul. Stay with me. Since the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God does not give people sickness. If you're sick, it came from the other team. Ever since Jesus died on the cross for every one of our sins, every one of our sicknesses, every one of our infirmities, every one of our issues, God doesn't give sickness. God doesn't give people sin. Yeah? Everybody would agree with that. In the same package, God doesn't give people sickness. This thorn isn't a sickness. God would never undo what Jesus has already finished. You don't need to turn there. You can look at it later. Numbers thirty-three fifty-five. God told the Israelites, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the promised land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. This isn't even the only place thorns in the side showed up. So what is a thorn? It's a picture an expression of something that's irritating and tormenting. That's what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what a thorn is. We need to stop or counter people who say, God gave me this sickness. That's my thorn. No, it isn't. If you have it, where did it come from? That's what the book says. What exactly is the thorn? Look at it again. It's a messenger from hell sent by Satan to torment Paul. 
If you're being tormented, guess where that came from? Hell. Hell said, hey, come here. Go torment her. That's what a thorn is. It isn't God saying, go have misery so that you can learn to get better. Look, we have an enemy who does that. We don't need God to do that. God is good all the time. We sang about it again. That is my, my song for this year. God is good all the time. The thorn is from an enemy from Satan to torment Paul. What kind of a father do we have that says, you know what? I want to help you get better. I'm going to torment you. I think, I think we report those to the authorities, even as, as humans. And yet sometimes people ascribe that to God. What might that have sounded like for Paul? It might have sounded like this. Especially if you see the things that he was commended for, as you read about it. it might have something like this. You know, Paul, people don't recognize you for who you are and what you do. Why do you keep doing it? They don't appreciate your sacrifice. They ignore your teaching, even though God gave it straight to you. You're a failure as a communicator. You never heard that one, did you? Everybody who stands up here hears that one sometimes. Messenger from Satan to torment. You need to be stronger in telling people about who you are and what you've done and what you can do. I just sounded something like that. Torment. When we get thoughts or hear things that people say to us, it can be tormenting. Look at your child. You're a terrible parent. Any parent has probably had that at one time or another. Straight from hell, special delivery for you. (laughs) Why do you try to do good? Nobody recognizes it anyway. Even God doesn't make a place for you. You'll never live up to what God expects from you. Torment. From hell. Messenger from Satan. Sometimes, for reasons we may or may not know, the enemy has access to attack us. And when we are attacked... We need to remember that Jesus has already defeated Satan and his minions. I like that word, minions. His little slaves that go around doing all this stuff. God's grace is always greater than any attack or weakness. Verse 8. Here's another one people have trouble with. Three times, Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This verse is sometimes used by people, even by Christians, to show it is God's will that we're supposed to suffer because he wouldn't take it away. Now, of all the things that Jesus died for, one of them that was not what he died for was to make us suffer. If you're suffering, it ain't from God. Did that go in? 
Y'all are kind of, really, every time you suffered, that has not been from God. Sometimes they'll say, it's not God's will to deliver you from this sickness or this ongoing sin or this demonic attack. Because Paul asked three times for it to go away and it didn't go away. That happens when you take a verse out of context. You could, I'm going to lift verse 8 and apply it to my life. God, God wants me to keep sinning because it keeps me humble. You know, all that is nonsense. And I'm being recorded so I didn't use other words that might contain a little bit more oomph. You don't have to explain me after today. (laughs) The thing that God wants us to suffer, wants us to keep our demons or anything, is nonsense. He died for all of that. We don't have to have a debate. Oh, is this bad thing that came into my life? Is this something you sent here? Hey, God answered Paul's prayers. We're going to see in just a minute. Our prayers are not always answered the way we ask. Sometimes he's got even better for us than the prayer that we asked. Paul wanted it to go away. God wanted to do something else with it to make it even better. Sometimes when we're asking for stuff, when we're in the middle of things, we're dealing with issues, we're dealing with things we'd just like to get fixed, God's got a better idea. He said, I can do more than just take it away. And that's what happened with Paul. We want the torment to just go away. Take it away, cause it to go. I don't want this. Now, many of you who are parents, remember teaching your child new things? How to tie their shoelaces. How'd you go about teaching your child to tie shoelaces. At first, you brought them in there, you stuck their feet out, put the shoe on them, and you tied the laces and plunked them down on the ground. You did the whole thing for them, right? Okay, maybe a couple of you guys had brilliant children that figured it out right away, but we didn't have that. Put the shoe on, and they're going, why? You know, and they look at it, and then you tie it, and then off they go. That's how we start. Then you had them try to tie the laces, and you fixed the problem. They looked down, oh, now it looks right, and off they go. Next, you had them go into the bedroom without you being there, said, you tie your shoes and then come and show me. And if they got it right, we praised them. If they got it wrong, they said, oh, here's how to do it. Show me what you did, and and, and we helped them learn. And then finally... Go put your shoes on because they know how to tie their shoes. Sometimes, more often than we probably wish, God doesn't want to keep doing things for us. God wants us to be able to tie our own shoelaces. God wants us 
to realize the delegated authority he has given us to do kingdom activity. And he says, I'm not tying your shoes this time. You do it. God, please take this thing away. No, son, I want you to learn how to do what you need to do when you partner with my grace, even when you're weak. Sometimes he doesn't tie the shoes. He'll start out so that we know. If you've never dealt with a tormenting spirit, he'll hook you up with somebody who can help you learn how to do it. He can fix the shoes that you didn't get tied quite right. But at some point, he's going, you do it. Do you realize how big this is? Mark chapter 6, you can look at it later, just write it down. The disciples said to Jesus, he's been preaching to big crowds, and the disciples said to Jesus, send the people away so they can be, go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy for themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, I'd take eight months of man's wages. How, are we gonna, how should we go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? When they found out, they said there was five loaves and two fish. But did you catch what Jesus said to them the first time? You give them something to eat. The five loaves and two fishes didn't change. What was Jesus doing for the disciples right there? Here's how you tie your shoes. You give it to them. Don't just go buy. Sure, you can buy, and that's okay. But don't just go buy. You give it to them. They go, what are you talking about? You know how long it's even going to take us to carry these things back from the store? They didn't get it then. But the whole goal was to expand. Here's what you can do. You don't need me to tie your shoes. The disciples' prayer basically was take away their hungry, their hunger, feed them. Jesus' response initially was, no, you do it. And over and over, Jesus says to us, I want you to grow up as mature sons and daughters. You do it. I've given you what you need to do it. That's an either, either an amen or an oh my. I'm not sure what I'm getting right now. But I'll tell you what, you start doing the stuff, it's addictive. When Holy Spirit shows up and he starts doing things and I get to be a part of it, there's nothing like it. It's the best drug ever. Now you do it. These last few weeks, I've really had a huge internal struggle. This whole year has been hard. I'm I'm glad 2019 is being done. I appreciate everything God did, but I'm glad it's over. This was a hard year. Started out with my wife in the hospital for three months, and we moved, and we had to change things, and all kinds of stuff happened. So the last couple of weeks, 
I had just really been struggling, an internal struggle to be motivated. I just didn't want to do anything. I was just like, okay, Mary's not in a crisis. Our house isn't in a crisis. Our finances don't need to be taken care of and rearranged. Everything's kind of done. And inside, I'm just going, I can't do anything. Not last Monday, but the Monday before, I was in bed till 1130 because I just didn't feel like getting up. I went all the way to the living room, which is about 20 steps, sat in a chair, had something to eat, took a nap, got back up. I go, I got all this. I got things to do. I just don't have any, any motivation, any desire to do this thing. I go, this is kind of bad. And just the whole week I could just was motivated. Didn't want to do it. So last Monday, Mary needed something from the store, the drugstore. I had to go do something. I don't know what. Probably several of them, several things just on my list. And I'm driving to wherever the first place was, and I go, oh, God, I cannot do this anymore. I'm just done. I don't want to do anything, and I can't do this anymore. You have got to help me. He goes, nope. Oh, what? What kind of an answer is that? <laughs> Papa, God, love me, all this kind of stuff, right? God, you got to do something and take it away. And it, immediately I thought about this sermon because I already knew I was going to teach this. And it shocked me. I, had to pull, I pulled off the road into a parking lot. I was so taken aback. What do you mean, no? But then I remembered this verse. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. <sighs> I'm not feeling it, God. I stopped. I said, God... You're not going to take this away, are you? No answer. It's, it's not good when you're trying to have a debate with God and you won't answer. It means it's already decided. It's just me trying to align. Really, God? You're not going to rescue me from this thing? Look, this is bad. No response. You're going to make me do this, aren't you? He said, no, and God said then, no, I'm not going to make you do this. You get to pick. You can keep your torment or you can get rid of it, but you're going to do it. Now, it's not like I haven't done deliverance before, but there's something about when you're in the middle of a torment and you're being attacked, it just doesn't feel like you're any good at it, at least to me. You know, I pray for, for people that, you know, the demon was throwing them around and they got delivered and all that kind of stuff. But it was their thing, and I was just praying to get rid of it. When it's inside doing something to you, something goes wrong up here sometimes. And he said, nope, you, you're going to do it. You can either get rid of it or you can keep it. I want to let you know today you can get rid of that torment that you came here with. Thank you. You can... You, 
It's so funny. People stay home from church. I'm not feeling well. <laughs> you should come to church. We'll have a sick area for people who are sick so that they can get healed, right? Because where's a better place to get healed than a church? I, I'm just feeling down. I'm not doing very well spiritually. I, I need to stay home. No, you don't you need to come here. You need to worship Jesus. You need to get people to pray and contend with you. Okay. After I processed for a few minutes going, okay, take a deep breath. This is not a big demon. This is some little low-grade thing just to torment me. God's not going to make it go away because he wants me to grow up because I'm maturing as a son. Okay. Bible says I've stilled and quieted my soul. Finally dial back from, get me out of here. Okay, you tormenting spirit. You've been harassing and bothering me long enough. You get out now. And it left. It's like, why did I put up with that for so long? It came back a couple times during the week. And it got sent straight back to hell where it had to report to its superior commander that it failed its mission. Yeah. See, we pray stuff and God fix it. He goes, no, I want you to grow up so you can fix it. Because once we get that down, you're probably not going to do a raising the dead person if you haven't prayed for a couple of sick people before. So he kind of works up in terms of our understanding of authority over spirits, over tormenting things that attack us, over sicknesses and stuff. He develops and strengthens our spirits so that we're ready to take on bigger stuff. Paul wrote to, I can't remember who he wrote to. I want to, the writer of Hebrews said, I want to tell you more things, but you're just like, spiritually immature. I can't give you more. I want to give you more, but I can't. One of the ways God gives us more because he knows it's time is when he says, you tie your own shoelaces. You tell the, the tormentor that came to you, you tell it to leave because he wants us to grow up. He wants us to speak to things in our family in our city. But we learn with those little tormenting guys. Verses 9 and 10. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more Gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is not God feeling sorry for us. Grace is God's empowering ability to do what I cannot do on my own. When he says he gives me grace, I now have the capacity and the ability to do what I could not do with just me. 
When I say give me grace, it's not to help me feel better. Give me grace so I can dispatch the thing that's causing the problem in the first place. Grace is God's empowering ability to do what you cannot do on your own. He comes and gives you what you need. When Paul said, your grace is sufficient, he's saying, whatever issue we have in front of us, when we get God's grace, when we align with God, we are bigger than that thing. My grace is sufficient for you. And grace is the empowering presence of God to do what we cannot do on our own. But it's only amazing grace if we do something with it. Otherwise, it just sits there. It's like if God planted a billion dollars in your, uh, your account at your bank and you never make a withdrawal. There's a lot of us here who haven't drawn on the grace account. God, I can't do this. He goes, I know. But my grace with you empowers you to do it. God did answer Paul. Paul was never required to keep that tormenting spirit. God never said to him, you need to keep this so you can learn perseverance. Hello? He said, my grace will help you dispatch that thing back to hell where it came from. He taught Paul a lesson. And that's for every one of us. We can try to do things, good things, even God things in our own ability and wisdom. And sometimes... We can do those with great effort or great attempts to accomplish it. And God will let us do God things in our own ability. But God wants us to understand we really can't do any kingdom things. We can do church things. We can do God things. We can do nice things in our own ability. But we can't do any kingdom things without grace. We have to have him empower us to dispatch invaders, to heal the sick, to be able to have wisdom to minister to our kids, our neighbors, or our coworkers. And grace gives us the right and ability to use God's power and strength. Grace empowers us with the right and the ability to act in God's power and strength. We sing about grace. We're not just singing about some obscure, undefined feeling. Grace has got guts. It's got substance. Grace comes and says, I will get up here every week and talk to people about things that are of substance in their life. Anybody who knows me knows this is the last place I want to be. Without God, I'm not here. 
Grace empowers us to feed thousands. Grace empowers us to silence the attacks from the enemy that we get daily. Grace empowers us to prophesy to people in our daily lives. Grace empowers us to stand in front of people and speak. Grace empowers us to be nice to ourselves. Sometimes the biggest attacks come from us, on us. Grace says, you be nice to Rob, even if you don't like what Rob's doing right now. Okay, God, I'm sorry I called myself stupid. I can't be the only one that does that. Yep, I am the only one that does it? Oh, no, okay. (laughs) Hey, most of us came here today with something that's just gnawing on us, a torment. You aren't good enough. You didn't try hard enough. You haven't allocated your time well. You haven't prayed well enough. You haven't dealt with that sin. You haven't prayed for anybody to receive Jesus in like 11 years. We came with stuff. And God's grace says, you can go home without it. Yeah, what a thought. Come to church, feel better when you're done. Close your eyes. I I got a few minutes, so close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're right now present with your grace to empower your people to send the tormentor back to hell. And Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would bring to mind for people here, what's the torment that you want them to be able to address? For for a lot of you, something popped in your mind. And you see it, maybe it's a big thing. It's okay, God. Your Holy Spirit lives in me. You can pray this under, you know, in, inside, however God tells you to pray it. God, I know Holy Spirit in me is bigger than this problem because you're bigger. And you said that you will give me enough grace, enough of your power in me to address this thing that's been tormenting me. God, today I choose to believe what you've told me, not what that tormentor has told me. Together, we agree. Say it under your breath, not not out loud. We're not trying to make a show. Volume doesn't scare demons. Authority scares demons. You can scream from the top of your lungs and the demon won't leave if it knows that you know you don't have authority. You can whisper a command to a demon, and if it knows you've got it, it, it's gone. That thing you came with today, you tell it under your breath, just real quiet. Nobody else needs to know about it. In Jesus' name, get out of my life. Because God set me free. It's done. 
it may try to come back. You know what you do when it comes back? In Jesus' name, get out of my life. Because it will come back and keep trying until it knows that you know you're carrying his grace and authority to tell it to leave. Low-grade demons are stupid. Plus, they have to report back to, to headquarters, and they don't want to tell their commander that they failed. So they'll keep trying until they know that you know you've won. But God says, my grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in weakness. So I can stand up here and go, you know what? I never, ever intended to be in front of people. And here I am. I'm here because of God's grace. He gives me an empowerment to do this that I would not and could not do on my own. Whatever thing you're dealing with, God says, I have given you grace to be able to overcome it because God never intended us to live in torment. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Hey, I can't, I can't stand in front of people and talk. I'm terrible at it. But then the power of Christ dwells in me, and something happens. And it's just, like, amazing. Like, really? That's incredible. God's grace is always greater than any attack or any weakness. Now, may the Lord bless you as you go this week. May you go not just as a person, but as a person who is a carrier of God's grace to be able to dispatch whatever it is that's been tormenting you. Because his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect whenever we are weak. Because when we are weak, he is strong. Go have a power-filled week. Amen?